0: Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time for another edition of Know Your Enemy. I am uh, your host and deputy editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, Michael Beck, joined as always by one Mr. Jeffrey Benedict. Jeffrey, we missed you last week. How are you doing tonight, sir?
1: I am fantastic. This is, It's Browns-Steelers week, and the game looks like it actually matters this year.
0: Yeah, it, it, uh, it, it's an exciting one, and for an exciting contest, we got uh got a fun special guest joining us, Dan Lobby from Cleveland.com. Dan, how are you doing tonight, sir?
2: I'm doing well, guys. This should be a, a fun game. I, I think it's been a while since the Browns-Steelers game met quite this much, especially this early in the year.
0: Absolutely. What's kind of the, the vibe in, uh, in in the market right now uh, with it, for all Browns fans? I, I mean, Browns
2: fans are really excited this team is 4 and 1 for the first time since 1994 Bill Belichick was the coach Nick Saban was the defensive coordinator that's that's how long it's been uh for Browns fans so there's a ton of excitement and I think the big thing is it doesn't feel fake to Browns fans I mean they've had some years where you know maybe they've gotten off to like two and two or something like that but I think people really believe in this new coach they believe in what the front office is doing I, I just think there's a real belief behind where the Browns are right now
0: yeah. And I, I think one of the things you've kind of seen from year to year, even though there wasn't so much roster turnover as there kind of was a year ago, there there are still a ton of differences. What would you kind of say is kind of like that that main difference between the, the Browns starting so hot this year and kind of uh, tying it all together uh, compared to last year or kind of uh, stumbling out of the gates of sorts? I think a big piece is
2: identity. They, they know who they are. They, they know who they want to be. They know they want to run the football. You know, they bring in a coach whose system in Minnesota was based on play action, running the football, big personnel. And that's really what the Browns spent their off season doing, supplementing the talent they have by adding you know, a guy like Austin Hooper. Then you have Kareem Hunt coming back healthy. You know, they only had him for half the year last year and he just wasn't in shape. He had a, a hernia surgery, And he missed eight weeks with the suspension. And when when he came back, he just wasn't the Kareem Hunt that he was in Kansas City. But now he's in great shape. He looks explosive. So now you've got him behind Nick Chubb. I mean, that's got to be probably the best running back deal in football. Of course, Chubb is hurt right now. But when those two guys are healthy, it's got to be the best one-two punch at running back in football. And that's what this is based on, running the ball and then play action.
0: Right now, Jeffrey, when, uh, when you're looking at this team compared to a year ago, is there more players? Is there certain players that scare you more, or is there a, is there a new dimension in the offense that uh, is something that uh, you're you're a little bit more worried about?
1: I'm worried about Baker Mayfield more than I ever have been. Uh, this this system works for him. He he wasn't good at play action. He wasn't, and then you watch him now, and you're like, he is nailing it. Like he his play action is really good. Like you you think they're running the ball, and then boom, he's throwing it. Uh, they have found a way to work Odell and him together much better than they have in the past. He, I think it works better with him. They're using more tight ends. They're moving more. They're, they're using different offense. And it, it's working for Baker Mayfield. Uh, so he, he is the big concern to me is, is it looks like their quarterback is finally in an offense. Through all the coordinators and all the different coaches he's had, it looks like he is finally in an offense that fits him.
0: No, go ahead, Dan. Sorry.
2: I, I think to, to further that point with, with Baker, it's, uh, you know, there's still some things that aren't perfect, right? There's still some things that need to be better, but the, the point you make is they brought him in and put him into a system that fits him where he's moving out of the pocket, where they're giving him easier throws. They're not dropping him back and making him read the field out of 11 personnel there. This play action rollout stuff is always where he's been, really at his best and when he's had bigger bodies out there and and been able to find mismatches. And I think that's a big reason why he looks better than he did last year.
0: Is there still rumblings uh, of uh, Case Keenum's name here and there? Is that uh, all but dead? I think that has all but died.
2: I I don't know how realistic any of that was. um, But look, they brought in Case Keenum because last year they just didn't have a a legitimate backup quarterback. And that quarterback room was just a mess. He had You know, Garrett Gilbert, who was an AAF cast off. He just got signed off the Browns practice squad to to Dallas this week. Uh, The quarterback coach was Ryan Lindley. It was his first time ever being a quarterback coach. He hasn't even really been a coach that long. I mean, some people may even still remember him playing. I think it was a playoff game in Arizona, not all that long ago. So they just didn't have a lot of structure around Baker off the field. So now you bring in Case Keenum, you bring in Alex Van Pelt. And Case Keenum was just a big part of building a quarterback room where Baker could develop in. And, you know, look, if Baker came out and played like he did last year, at least you've got a guy that Kevin Stefanski knows and a guy who can come in and play a little bit.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, Kevin Stefanski. Is his offense one that Baker's better suited for, or is he just playing better football than he has in his career? Uh, I think it's
2: the offensive system. I I think the system, you know, and credit to this organization, they went out and they said, we're going to, make this quarterback centric organization. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be in the NFL. And they lived up to that standard by going out and bringing in a head coach who believed in him and believed that he could make this system work around him. A guy that made Kirk cousins look good in spots, right? He should be able to come in and make Baker Mayfield look good. Uh, so again, a play action, big personnel uh, changing up the pacing a little bit last, last year, they were just doing things so slowly and it, it was just really difficult for him. They've really built this thing around Baker being able to get better get comfortable and now hopefully you start to see even more improvement especially you know when he does do the drop back stuff when it's just straight drop back that's kind of where he struggled a little bit he struggled the last two second halves of games so there's still some work to do with Baker but the structure is in place and Kevin Stefanski's offense is a big piece of that.
0: Now this kind of Stefanski offense, Jeffrey, is this one that the Steelers defense matches up well against, or is there, uh, is there some holes to be uh, had uh, for Baker and company?
1: Well, the good news for the Steelers is we're the top run defense. Like we are the we are dominating in the run game, uh, and they're based on the run. Like if we are stopping their their run, then they have to do they have to win the game off play action. The bad news is. Uh, is they can win the game off play action, they they can get that going and they can do it. Uh, the difficult part that I see for the Steelers defense is going to be matching up uh, with the Browns tight ends, especially if David Njoku is back and is ready to to start. You know, pick up where he left off. If he's if he's ready to go and really play, then Austin Hooper and David Njoku are both matchup problems. They don't. You know, they don't throw to them a ton. They don't throw the tight ends a ton because they're running the ball a lot. But the Steelers don't really have the manpower to match up with uh, a Hooper, an Njoku, and a Kareem Hunt all in the passing game. We don't have that. We got one guy who's really good against those kind of athletic pass receiver, running back tight end guys. And that's Charles Edmonds. And that's it. So that's, that's the problem I could see. The good matchup is, you know, our run defense. Vince Williams in there, Mike Hilton, uh, and then the defensive line. That's that's where the, the Steelers' defense really has to win this.
0: Now, uh, from a Browns perspective, what's uh, what's kind of the, the weak spots that uh, you kind of expect this team to try to exploit along that Steelers' uh, defensive front, Dan?
2: Well, the the weak spots for the Browns on on offense, you know, honestly, it's hard to kind of sit there and, and pick them out, right? I, I guess you got to look at maybe third receiver. They don't really have a guy there. Uh, you know, Rashard Higgins was finally active this week after being inactive for a couple games. Um, and and he's a guy that Baker relies on, but he's not a guy that's going to you know get down the field a lot, make huge plays. He's more of a possession guy. Um, I, I think that's an area where, you know, if the Browns just can't really spread you out, right? And I don't know that they really want to, but if they ever needed to, they can't really do that. But I think that's kind of the strange thing about this Browns offense. It's hard to really look at it and poke a bunch of holes in it. You know, I mean, Jarvis Landry is playing really well. Odell Beckham is playing really well. The offensive line has has been fantastic. So I guess you start with Jedrick Wills on the left side, who's been pretty good as a rookie, but he is still a rookie who played right tackle his whole life. So maybe the Steelers can take advantage of of him over on the left side and maybe force the Browns to bring him some help. We all know T.J. Watt has just made a living feasting on the Browns, uh, you know, feasting on Browns' offensive line, and I'm sure he's ready. Uh, to take a shot at Jedrick Wills and and see if he can hold up a little bit. But that's probably the area where Pittsburgh is saying, you know, we're going to get after it. And actually, uh, you know, one other spot guys, Steelers fans might remember Chris Hubbard. He's probably going to be your starting right guard on Sunday because Wyatt Teller has a calf strain. So that might be another area where the Steelers might be able to attack. And and look, that's right up the middle. The Browns love to pull those guards. It's going to be different with Chris Hubbard as opposed to Wyatt Teller, who was playing at a pro bowl level. Uh, you know, we're, we're gonna have to see if you know the Steelers coming in with a week ready to attack Chris Hubbard. Whereas last week the Colts didn't even know he was gonna play because Teller got hurt in that game, it's a little bit different. So we'll, we'll kind of see if Hubbard can hold up at that right guard spot.
0: Now, you uh, mentioned uh, Odell, Dan. Um, he's looked, I, I think, leaps and bounds better so far in, in this uh, in this season compared to year one with the with the Browns. What's kind of clicked with him? Why is uh, why are these uh, insane numbers coming off the board what's going on with Odell
2: a big piece of it is you know again going back to Kevin Stefanski he's not afraid to maybe force him the ball here and there you know we saw it in Dallas a couple weeks ago Jarvis Landry throws the ball to Odell Beckham uh, he's taken some end arounds. he took two in Dallas and took another one in Indianapolis he, Kevin Stefanski isn't afraid to use a player to just to get Odell Beckham a touch I, I kind of liken it to a big man in basketball it might not be super efficient to throw the ball down in the post every play, but every now and again you give him a touch, give him a shot. He's going to do all the rest of that dirty work for you. You know, he's not and with Odell, I think if he goes a quarter and a half or a, a full half or whatever and he hasn't touched the football, he, he kind of starts to press a little bit. Like he wants to get those numbers, he wants to get those catches. So if you can just get the ball in his hands a little, it kind of engages him the rest of the game and I think that's been a big piece of it.
0: Now, a guy named uh, Travis Fulgham absolutely ripped up uh, the Steelers' defense a week ago, Jeffrey. Uh, f- facing uh, receivers uh, by the name of Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, you, you kind of go down the list. There's a there's a smattering of pro bowlers and all pros there. Are, are, are you worried about so one of these guys absolutely dominating this game just taking it over?
1: Well, we saw it last year. When the Browns beat us last year, they they started off with that big play to Odell Beckham. A uh, big play right down to the goal line. Um, they are going to, they know how to attack uh, our defense. People have seen this year, I've been talking about my film rooms, uh, how teams are attacking Minka Fitzpatrick. That started in week 10 of last year when the Browns came to face the Steelers. They put together a game plan that really took Minka Fitzpatrick out of his strengths and, and really attacked how the Steelers schemed and how they used him and his weaknesses, and as a deep safety, they went after him. Uh, this year, a lot of teams are copying that, and we're gonna we're we're facing off. And in, in the year that the, the maker really hasn't shown up, he's been playing well, but teams know how to play against him now. We're facing the team that kind of set that you know in motion and really put on film how to avoid and how to attack Minka Fitzpatrick. This game for me in the secondary and dealing with Odell and dealing with Jarvis Landry is all about how the Steelers adapt and how they take away what the Browns have shown, what what teams are being able to do against Minka and and make sure that we can defend those and not, not be giving up deep, deep passes because if we give up much deep, it's going to be really hard. That gets their run game going. Once they, they, they get a few chunk plays, that run game gets going. And then, you know, then where are you? Then you're then you're in a shootout, and I don't think we want to be in that with a with a team that runs like the Browns do.
0: You mentioned that Week Ten game, and Dan obviously uh, that one kind of ended with the whole Mason Rudolph Miles Garrett incident. Uh, one that obviously has been talking talked about at nauseum. I, I think the Steelers kind of approach um, after Mike Tomlin's press conference was kind of uh, we've moved on. That was in the past. That's that's kind of over. Cream Hunt today had some comments like uh, Miles is our guy. Uh, we're going to defend him on that. Is this still kind of something that's kind of looming? What's kind of going on with this whole situation?
2: It's one of those things that you, I mean, you can't ignore it because we all know it happened. We all know this is going to be miles first game against the Steelers since that incident happened, but I'll be honest, I, I kind of view this as almost like a, a test of the culture they're trying to build here in Cleveland because nobody needs to be reminded, but I will. It wasn't too long after that that Freddie Kitchens wore his Pittsburgh started at shirt and yeah. you know, that started a firestorm. And, and that was really the beginning of the end for Kitchens when he, when he wore that shirt and then the Browns went out and lost that game. Uh, with Stefanski, you know, he, he says all the right things and it's all about building this culture and keeping, keeping this team focused on the game ahead, not getting caught up in all the outside noise. And so far, They have. Obviously, Kareem Hunt said what he said today, but really, you know, in the context of it, it was was just kind of, you know, are you guys going to be supportive of Miles? You know, so I I don't think we're going to hear anything real inflammatory from the Browns, but this is a good test for what they're trying to kind of instill here and and try to put that Freddie Kitchens uh, era behind them and sort of how out of control the team was. Uh, They've been really disciplined this year. Uh, Everything has kind of stayed in line. We'll probably hear from Odell Beckham tomorrow. We might hear from Jarvis Landry tomorrow. So we'll see kind of if either of those two guys have anything to say. We'll hear from Miles Garrett probably on Friday. But I think this is a really good test for the Browns to kind of see, can you stay focused just on this game and not get caught up in everything else that's going to be swirling around it?
0: Now, Miles Garrett, obviously, he's been off to a red hot start this season. Uh, I saw like a Brian Baldinger breakdown of his bend around the edge, which is absolutely outstanding, uh, elite, uh, elite flexibility. Obviously, getting to Phillip Rivers for a sack a week ago, he, he's been on a, a tear um, to the level of defensive player of the year uh, candidate already. Dan, do, do you think this is uh, th- this is uh, kind of the final form of Miles Garrett? Is, is is there still room for him to grow? Is he? Is he that guy, and what uh, what do you expect from him the rest of the way?
2: I think it's really close to what he can be. You know, before this year and before he signed that big contract, I think a lot of people looked at him and said, okay, he's really good. Like, he's he's one of the best edge rushers in the league. But we also looked at, again, this is something Steelers fans may or may not remember, but the tie at the beginning of 2018, Miles Garrett had a great game, and he kind of single-handedly brought the Browns, brought the Browns back in that game. He forced a fumble on Big Ben. I think he might have forced back-to-back fumbles and the Browns were able to come back, and obviously that game ended in a tie. But that was kind of the Miles Garrett that you wanted to see, that Aaron Donald type of impact, that you know J.J. Watt back in his heyday when he was winning Defensive Player of the Year type of impact. And now this year he's kind of gone from being that maybe just a step below that to now he is in the discussion I think for those guys as far as this is what it is to be a Defensive Player of the Year. It's going out and impacting the game every single week, You know, three straight games with a strip sack. It ended this week, but it also came with him forcing that that safety, the the intentional grounding in the end zone for the safety. So we're seeing Miles Garrett, you know, play to play, game to game, just really impact things in a way that I think really is a step up. And you know, there probably is still room for him to get better, which is a really scary thing. Uh, But I still think there's there's growth that can be there. But he's starting to get to that. That highest level of
1: what
0: Miles Garrett. Is. Now, Jeffrey, how do the Steelers' offensive line combat Miles Garrett? Uh, Alejandro Villanueva—it seems like to be one of his worst matchups of the year. Is when he goes up against Miles Garrett. How are they going to uh, defend him? Uh, who's who's offering the chips, and will we see some sort of different type of uh, t- some different type of uh, pass blocking uh, assignment for them to uh, get the job done against uh, one of the best in the NFL? Well,
1: it's going to be interesting because we've got Kevin Dotson. You know, starting at, if we have Kevin Dotson starting at right guard, uh, which I think that is still looking like that's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to slide too much help that that other way. You're not going to be able to do too much. And we've been having problems uh, with communication on the left side. Villanueva and Matt Filer are giving up the most of the pressures. So the right side's been doing okay. Miles Garrett uh, in four games against the Steelers has four sacks, but that does not show his true impact on the game. Uh, like he was saying, the 2018 tie, but also that Week Ten, that Week Ten loss last year. Miles Garrett was do- was taken over that game. He was dominant in that game. He was it, it was he was a nightmare to deal with. And we were fighting. We're keeping him off the stat sheet, but he still disrupted almost everything we're doing at that point. Before you know the the, the helmet incident, Miles Garrett could be a major difference in this game, uh, even in how effective our offense is. If we're having Eric Ebron, you know, give him a chip, or we're having Vance McDonald play more so that he can give help. That that just sets everything else back. That sets all of our rest of our offense back, makes everything a little bit harder. And right now, right now, Miles Garrett, uh, I'm not even gonna catch flack for this from Steelers fans, but right now Miles Garrett is better than TJ Watt this season, 2020. Miles Garrett is playing better than T.J. Watt. He is drawing double teams. He is drawing all the attention in the world. Teams cannot double team T.J. Watt. They're holding him, but they're not doubling him. Miles Garrett is dominating despite drawing all the attention in the world, and that is a serious matchup problem for the Pittsburgh Steelers this week.
0: Right now, Dan, say in a hypothetical world, the Steelers are sending chips. They have those double teams, and uh, just – doing whatever it takes to, uh, kind of, uh, not like, well, I guess limit miles Garrett and, uh, what he's able to do in the, the pass rushing game. What are the other guys along that kind of defensive front that, uh, that could potentially be uh, kind of game re- wreckers in this one?
2: Well, one of the key guys is Olivier Vernon. Uh, the Browns made a trade. He actually came over as part of the Odell Beckham trade. Um, hasn't quite lived up to, to maybe what the expectations were, but when he's healthy, which has been a problem, but when he's healthy, He's still a guy that can make an impact. So that's the guy that's going to be on the other end. And then in the middle, you know, Sheldon Richardson uh, has played really well since he signed here. He's his second year here. And the guy just plays hard and and gets into the backfield and makes an impact. Larry Ogunjobi is another guy that if he's healthy, you know, he missed last week's game. If he's healthy, he can come in and create some pressure up the middle, uh, which I know the Browns really want to do. They want to create pressure up the middle because that's when your quarterback starts trying to, to escape and, Obviously, we're talking about Big Ben, but uh, you know, you flush him towards Miles Garrett or you flush him towards Olivier Vernon, that, that's certainly something the Browns would welcome. Um, but but those are really the two guys, Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi. If they're healthy and they can create pressure up the middle, there's a rookie they have named Jordan Elliott out of Missouri. Uh, he, he's played pretty well this year. But those are the two guys that if Miles gets double, triple teamed, which does happen sometimes, and, and I'm glad you brought up that Week 10 game again with, with Miles, the, the good part of it. I mean, he really did dominate that game without really putting anything on the stat sheet. It was an impressive show. Um, You know, those guys up the middle should be able to benefit.
0: Now, Jeffrey and I have been uh, pretty big on a Steelers receiver that had uh, a pretty big uh, game last week. Obviously, Chase Claypool with his four touchdowns. Um, The Steelers really offensively, uh, it seems like one guy has kind of uh, had that big game uh, each and every week. It's kind of come from one different place um is there one name along the Steelers offensive front that you're a little bit more uh more worried about than than possibly the other ones Dan
2: you know obviously Claypool's such an easy one because he had the four touchdowns on Sunday he's kind of the the immediate name that comes to mind but you know for whatever reason James Connor has big games against the Browns I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, I know he's been a little up and down in his career, but whenever he sees a brown a brown and orange jersey, he just has a big game against them. And, I, you know, that worries me. If the Steelers are able to run the football effectively against the Browns, you know, the Browns' weakness has been against the pass. So they've been pretty good against the run. But if the Steelers and James Conner are able to kind of take that away and run the football, control the football a little bit, uh, you know, that that scares me. Yeah, I, Juju Smith-Schuster is another guy that just, again, always seems to have, you know, good games against the Browns. You know, it just doesn't seem to matter what's going on. But Connor and, and Smith-Schuster just have big games against the Browns for whatever reason. And so it's hard for me to really say anybody else just because the, their performances against this team are always so fresh in my mind.
0: Now, Jeffrey, when you look across the uh, at the Browns defensive side of the ball, where can the Steelers kind of uh... – Make their plays. Is is there a certain is there a certain gap, certain coverage schemes, or maybe a certain matchup that you're looking at in this one that you're that you could potentially see one guy or potentially a number of guys uh, having a decent uh, decent afternoon?
1: Um, first off, I'm attacking the linebackers. I'm going after their linebackers. Uh, I go after them with Ebron. You know, get them concerned of in the passing game. Get them with misdirection. You know, jet sweep on them. Uh, one of the one of the ways you can you can kind of mess with a Miles Garrett is is if you can get a jet sweep past him, and that's that's an issue because he's one of the most athletic players on, as an edge player in the league. But if you can chip him and get a get a jet sweep past him, you start slowing him down. You start slowing down that rush. You start you know making him kind of read and then rush. Uh, you can get success there. And that also plays into, you know, messing with their linebackers. You know, can you stay straight where you are or do you need to do you need to shift over and to help with this, you know, wide receiver, these jet sweeps? Uh, so that's a big area for me. Uh, Ebron, of course, attack the attack the linebackers, man. That's that is my that would be my game plan. Uh, stretch, stretch the field with Chase, make them keep their safeties back, and then attack the linebackers.
0: Now Dan, with those linebackers, obviously Joe Schobert uh, no longer there. Um, what, what's uh, what is that kind of a uh, unit looking like? and is, is there anyone kind of uh, taking the step as kind of that next uh, next tackle uh, uh, tackle king, I guess uh, you could say?
2: It, it's been tough for the linebackers and, and I honestly believe organizationally, I'm not sure how much they they value the position to be honest. I think they value the pass rush. I think they value the secondary. And then linebackers are a little more replaceable, and they certainly are putting that into practice this year. Uh, B.J. Goodson is a guy in the middle. He's played with the Giants, played with uh, Green Bay last year. You know, a good tackler, good in the run game, but if you get him out in coverage, you're going to be in trouble. And and you can kind of say that about a lot of guys. You know, Mac Wilson in his second year, still a really raw guy coming off of injury, uh, hyperextended his knee in camp, so I'm not really sure what he's capable of. Uh, the, the guy that's intriguing is uh, a rookie out of LSU Jacob Phillips. He's been dealing with a knee injury now and he's been on the field, you know he's done some things you know in Dallas he dropped an interception should have had it. That came right after he made another nice tackle uh, at a play where he stretched out a run. I believe it was against the Colts. Uh, he, he's a guy that I'm really intrigued by had a ton of tackles at LSU, pretty athletic can play downhill, but I think can cover a little bit too. I just don't know if he's healthy enough to be out there too much. So, so the linebackers, are really an issue with this team. And it also doesn't help that they haven't getting been getting a ton of production out of the safety position, and they're also banged up at safety now too. And a guy that helped those linebackers, Ronnie Harrison, finally got on the field last week, yeah. but now he's in the concussion protocol. So that, that doesn't bode well for him being able to play against the Steelers. And I, I think the Browns can find creative ways to use him. Like they were going to use Grant Delpit before he tore his Achilles. Uh, and they started to explore a little bit of that last week, but they might not have him now.
0: Right now, Dan, there's a question that we uh, typically ask our guests um, on these uh, these weekly Know Your Enemies, and that being if you could pluck one player off the Steelers roster and throw them on your team, in this case the Browns roster, what's that one guy uh, that you'd uh, be pulling off the team?
2: I think it would be Minka, just, just okay. because of what I said about the safeties. And I, I know, Jeffrey, you said that, that maybe he's been getting attacked a little bit, but um, – I, I think because of where the Browns are at safety, I think he's he's a guy that I would love to be able to pull off that roster and put in the Browns back end. Let him be the free safety on this defense, uh, and then look if you had a, a healthy Grant Delpit, you'd have a pretty good uh, safety core going forward. Another guy I would throw out there just because he's a guy the Browns actually passed on. They they could have taken him in the draft, and instead they they took David Njoku, who is you know T.J. Watt. They've always kind of looked for that guy to put across from Miles Garrett. And you almost kind of wonder what would have been uh, had they selected T.J. Watt as well in that draft with with this pass rush.
0: That uh, that would probably be one of the scariest pass rushes in the history of football. (laughs) That would be a nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's probably not realistic
2: to take two defensive ends in the first round of a draft, but it is one of those kind of fun what-if things to to think about.
1: I'll tell you, the Steelers did that. uh, They took two linebackers in Mike Tomlin's first draft. They took Lawrence Timmons and then Lamar Woodley, and it worked out really well. (laughs) <laughs> it went well for us. Like I, I can imagine if you're sitting there debating who the best edge rusher is in the class between two guys that are on the same team, that'd be insane.
0: <laughs> I could only imagine. Now, Dan, I, I know we're we're starting to uh, to run out of your time, so I'll quickly ask you a couple more questions before yeah, we let you get out. Um, your biggest X factor in this one? What's the one name on on either side that you you kind of expect could potentially uh, kind of wreck this game?
2: I, I think one. Uh, Boy, X Factor. I'm gonna go with Denzel Ward. I don't know if he's mm-hmm. you call him an X Factor because he is, you know, he's maybe a little bigger of a name than than you would think of for an X Factor, but you know, he is a guy that I think has played well this year. Um had the huge like highlight play yet. But he's a guy that if he can if he can get his hands on the football and take it the other way, um I mean that's the kind of thing that can change this game if he can shut down, you know, Chase Claypool, if he can shut down Juju, wherever they whatever they decide to do with Denzel Ward. I think he could certainly be uh, an X factor on the Steelers side. I don't know. That's a tough one. I, can I, can I go back to the, I don't know if I want to go back to the James Conner role. I'm not sure honestly about an X factor for the Steelers. Um, I mean, maybe it is just James Conner continuing to have, you know, big games against the Browns and continuing to, again, for whatever reason, put up huge numbers against the Browns.
0: Absolutely. Now the last one, uh, I'll give you here. Um, potentially a, a final score prediction uh, of course this one being in Pittsburgh I, I think it really could go either way I, I think this is going to be an interesting matchup but what are your thoughts what's the final score in this game
2: let's see I, ha- I haven't put a ton of thought into it yet and I'm going to be honest I'm going to err on the side of Browns fans who hear this here <laughs> but this might I might change my mind between now and Sunday we'll see but I, I do think this Browns team is, is a really good team and, and I think that that game against indianapolis was a really good test for this offense. it's the best defense they faced, you know, maybe that changes this week now. this is this might be the best defense they face. um but i think this team is going to be able to find some way to kind of exploit that steelers pass defense a little bit. they threw the ball 28 times in the first half against indianapolis kind of out of nowhere. so they're not a come out and attack where they see a weak spot. i think it's going to be a really close game. i'm going to say browns 24 Let's give the Steelers a weird score. Let's go Browns 24, Steelers 22.
0: That would be an interesting score for sure. Um, Dan, uh, Cleveland.com, Dan Labby, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Anyone in the live chat and listening, make sure to give him a follow. Uh, Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
2: All right. Thanks a lot, guys.
0: Thanks, man. Ladies and gentlemen, um, that, uh, that's going to conclude part one for us. Uh, we'll get uh, more into it with Jeffrey Benedict here in part two if you're listening on the podcast side. Just, just hang tough if you are uh, chilling with us here on YouTube tonight.